Thank you for joining us today on TAG, talking about guns. Today, we're talking with actor and activist Jason George. Jason was on Grey's Anatomy, and then Station 19 spun off from Grey's Anatomy, right? Yeah, oh yeah. It's a Thursday it's night. to see my character spun off. That's always fun. <laughs> Thursday nights, 8 o'clock, ABC. Back episodes on Hulu, if I want to go back. Yep, you can stream the whole thing. You can catch up. You can watch multiple times if you want to. And I'm going to by the way, Jason. So thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, You are a strong advocate for gun reforms. We read your op-ed in People Magazine last year, I believe it was. I think it was maybe June of last year. Can you tell us, Jason, why you became such an advocate for gun safety? Um, Well, one of the first and foremost, I mean, like a lot of Americans, I'm I'm a parent. I'm a dad. Uh, and school shootings have become far more prevalent. I mean, I don't remember school shootings when I was in school and my kids do, uh, they do drills regularly now. And the idea that the concept, you know, we, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a kid of the eighties. So the whole get under your desk because, uh, nukes could be coming thing was, we were in the tail end of that. Right. And, you know, we would finally realize it's not going to make a difference. Right. Under the desk, right. They dropped the bomb. Um, but, uh, that was an abnormal thing. Uh, but it felt like it also will probably never happen. Uh, it felt like a million things needed to go wrong for that to happen. My kids are doing similar drills for something that in the back of their minds is a real possibility. And it horrifies me that that's the case. That's, that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is that I have family members who have, uh, been the victims of gun violence, who've been shot to death. My cousin Daryl was, uh, killed and his murder never found. And uh, we also have some close friends of friends of the family who actually have been, who, who perpetrated gun violence. I've seen it from all the different sides. And in that particular instance, I've seen where people who are really pretty beautiful human beings had a flash moment of anger and the opportunity presented by a readily accessible gun and horrific things happen. So it's one of those things that for me, I just need to, I, I felt like I need to put it out there to try and make a better world for my kids. And also remind folks that like, I get it. You're not that person, except on that one day when you are. Um, were those, Jason, were those, in, what you're referring to, was that an incident involving another person? Yes. Uh, it was, uh, the, you know, again, readily access to a gun. The gun was in the car and uh, anger with people that you cared about. Yeah. And that's a very common thing. Look, I also, I mean, look, uh, the joke in my house is that the one time that there was a gun in the George household when I was growing up uh, was uh, it, it people people broke in and stole it. And it was the one thing that they stole. Uh, read as that my parents were on the way to the divorce and somebody had the common sense to say that thing needs to not be in the house right. because somebody's not walking out of here. Um, and so that's always resonated for me that. Uh, you know, a gun in the house just ups the chance of, some, of somebody not walking out, whether it's a spouse or unfortunately, as we've seen, you know, in too many cases, you know, a child, you know, they're not stored properly. Well, you raise a great point because uh, of the um, immediate access and the, that snap decision is also reflected in suicide numbers. Right. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that for me is a huge thing. I mean, look, at you know, I mean, you know, I. I stick my nose in this. And the thing that for me, I'm from a military town. My dad was Navy. My three best friends, you know, we were the four horsemen throughout high school. And it's, you know, Naval Academy, Virginia Military Institute, 
Virginia Tech ROTC, which is basically a military academy inside of a university. Uh, I grew up in a town with this is the largest naval base in the world. Everybody was familiar with guns. Everybody's familiar with things. And it was a military town. Uh, but I also I love and have incredible respect for the military and the number of service people who take with if a, if, if a soldier with PTSD is going to take their life, they're going to do it with a gun. Right. And one of the things that for me that whenever I have uh, conversations with people who are no compromise, Second Amendment, absolutists, uh, you know, I, I, I bring up, you know, if you say you love the troops, not in anything other than a rah, rah, I wave a flag, but I don't really know what that means. I don't believe it. If you're just doing it as a performative thing, then you don't want them to in their own life. Right. Uh, I know incredible people who are self advocate, self proclaimed gun nuts who will say, if you have PTSD, if you're in a dark place, maybe give your guns to your friends. Maybe, you know, like people who have dozens of guns on their own and are on social media, self proclaimed gun nuts will say, in that particular instance, maybe not. So if you say you love the troops, you know, there are laws that we can all agree on that are smart things to do. Maybe making sure that somebody who's in a dark psychological place mentally um, and a veteran, you know, going through post maybe they shouldn't have access to their gun if they're in that space. I'm not saying that you take guns from veterans. I'm not saying you take guns from people who are responsible with them, but I'm saying if they've been deemed mentally unfit to where you can't handle your money, maybe the gun is a bad idea in the house. Let me ask you this. You, you mentioned that you grew up in a military town, Virginia Beach, right? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people there, I, I haven't seen a study particularly of Virginia Beach, but I'm assuming it's a big pro-Second Amendment community. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably, but, you know, yeah, it, it, I, w- I would say yes. But I would also say, like a lot of Virginia, uh, it, it's very purple if we're going to put this in red and blue terms. In other words, people are, you know, very, people enjoy their guns. But most of the officers I grew up with, look, look again. The military folks I grew up in respected the most are what Colin Powell referred to himself as reluctant warriors. I am very good at this thing. Never use me. Never send me in. If you send me in, it will be bad. And their same mentality applied to how I think they handled their weapons. I hope I never have to use this thing. I hope right. I never have a problem in my house. I'm not going to, you know, and I don't want, and, and they took it very seriously. And they, and a lot of the veterans I grew up with will acknowledge that weapons of war that uh, are, you know, necessary when you're trying to uh win a war there is no, no there is no use for that in regular everyday society you know uh and that's the thing i mean you're, if you're going to protect your house you, you, your regular handgun's going to get it done if you're trying if you're going to go hunting and you're using an automatic weapon you suck as a hunter um, you're, <laughs> you're, you're not good at this there, there's no there's no glory in using tracer fire to uh to tag the deer well uh, but when we we just did a study, Beacon Research on gun issues, and only thirty four percent, just over a third of gun owners, favor any ban on assault weapons. Part of it is a lack of definition on what an assault weapon is. Right. Um, but only a third of gun owners. The the amount of support for background checks, red flag laws, it's super huge. high. It's huge. And then when we talked about before about suicides, twenty five thousand suicides a year, basically, no one commit suicide with an assault weapon, right. you're using right. a handgun. And if you try to commit suicide with a gun, over 90% it's going to happen. If you try any other way at all, 
the odds are that it, you won't succeed. Right. The chances of survival are much greater, you know? And right. so, I mean, look, the, again, what are the things that we can agree on? And that's where I have a problem with the no compromise folks, because, you know, red flag laws, like I said, you know, I have, I have family who were members uh, who are victims of gun violence and domestic abuse combined. And I, I know people who've perpetrated uh, essentially gun violence and domestic abuse. And it's, if you can spot that ahead of time, I remember seeing this one statistic that blew me away that uh, 25% of mass shootings uh, defined as, you know, four, you know, people shot or, or more, uh, 25% of those shooters had been convicted of some form of domestic abuse wow. at some point in time. So my thought is, if you commit domestic abuse, how about the red flag law takes your guns? Um, worst case scenario, somebody who's a domestic abuser, I got no problem with that. Right. Um, but then you also prevent that other on down the thing. If this is some, if somebody's willing to do that to someone that they supposedly love, there's an anger level, impulse issues to what what, what are they willing to do to people that they don't even know, and right. that connection there is obvious. So I'm like, if you know, I, so that that to me is a. There are a lot of conversations we could be having about laws that are smart to use data, data driven logic to try and attack the problems that we're all seeing as a nation. Right. Agreed. Now, let me ask you, because uh, we recently had this horrible onset incident where a person uh, you know, was killed and somebody else was seriously injured. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, you worked on a show that's in the hospital and a fire department. <laughs> um, do you have uh, have you worked with guns on set? What kind of precautions do you have to take when you're on set with with guns? Because for the rest of the world, we don't I, I would have no idea what the on set precautions are for a real gun. I wouldn't even know you use a real gun. Well, you, you usually don't. You usually don't. I mean, there's a person usually labeled as an armorer. Uh, you know, subsidiary of the props department. And on the best sets, you know, I heard this great statement because there's been a big conversation in the industry about this exact thing for obvious reasons. The, I heard this one armorer say the best phrase. He said, my job as an armorer is two things. And then a whole bunch of things to get to those two things. Number one is to make sure that everybody is absolutely safe. And then number two is to make sure everybody feels safe. So if you're doing things to make sure that we're safe, but I don't know about it and I feel like and I see a gun being pointed in my direction and I'm trying to dodge it, you screwed up one of those things. Uh, so the best sets I've been on, the armorer, nobody touches the gun except for the armorer and the person who's going to be holding the gun. Nobody. That the armorer walks it up to that individual, shows that person, shows the person that's going to anybody who's in vicinity of the gun, shows them the gun is not loaded, shows them that it's a rubber gun, shows them whatever the issue is, because sometimes it's not even a real gun. It's just a, a hunk of rubber. Sometimes it's actually got a barrel. There's a million things that you can do to make sure everybody sees and knows they're safe. And it's a great way to double, triple, quadruple check and make sure that, the, you know, that, that everything is absolutely safe. So something broke down uh, on that set. And now there's a conversation in this industry about do you need guns at all? And it's gotten really interesting because now there's a company who's making uh, – because I said – 95% of the time you don't need guns because everybody's got visual sex. You know, newsflash, my show is not actually shot in Seattle. We use green screens all the time to uh, to look like we're in Seattle. Um, visual effects have become far more cost efficient. And so I know, t- I remember seeing a friend who did a short, this action short, and the not, not a single bullet was fired. Uh, no, all the blood splatters, everything was right. digitally done. And you didn't notice it 
uh, when you're watching it. And then they've got these guns. I thought, well, what if you need the lighting effect? Like, you know, remember the new Batman movie, there's a, a shot where uh, automatic weapons, it's almost pitch black and the automatic weapons are lighting up everything. They have these new guns where they have LED lights inside the barrel. Right. Look exactly like right. gun So, right. yeah, the uh, basically the only reason to do it is because that's what I'm used to and I'm stubborn and I don't want to change and I don't right. want to find out new stuff. And the reality is there could be cost savings there as well. And I'm not, I don't have a knee jerk response to say, get rid of the guns on set. I'm just saying, let's have the conversation to find solutions and you may find new things and find out it's actually more cost efficient to do it this way than the way we've been doing it. So I have many questions. First question is an armorer, a specific person who's hired just when there's a gun on set and that's it. Yep. That is all they do. An armorer is when there are going to be guns on a set, uh, any kind of gunfire, that sort of thing, their sole job is to handle those weapons to make sure. Now, again, the the more you decrease the budget, the less money there is, the more that person may have other duties. Uh, right, okay. My understanding is on gotcha. that particular production, the armorer was also a general props person, and that gets problematic. And then also they had the issue of, because it was uh, a period piece set in the, you know, in the West, uh, you don't necessarily have as many uh, rubber guns and that sort of thing, or guns that shoot blanks. Because nowadays, ever, certainly ever since the Crow, the Brandon Lee incident back in the '90s, um, guns that shoot blanks cannot even—you can't put a live round into those guns anymore. That's been a thing for decades. But when you get to vintage weapons, that might not be a safety protocol that that's in existence because obviously it's with newer guns. So. Yeah, there's a million ways it broke down. But yeah, an armorer should ideally, that should be their sole job. But sometimes people cut corners on safety and give them multiple jobs. And so the attention is not paid solely to the weapons. The other big revelation, of course, is that your show's not shot in Seattle. So um, <laughs> did you ever watch Dexter, by the way? Did you ever watch Dexter? I, I did not watch a lot of Dexter. Miami, right? A lot of the right. Miami Hughes shot in Long Beach, California. Right, yeah. Seinfeld, which was shot right by, you know, where we live, Mm -hmm. uh, their Central Park was a bench. And then the exteriors were Central Park, but the whole Central Park was a bench on a studio lot. It's Hollywood. All that matters is what's inside, what's inside the frame, what's inside the frame. Yeah, so you were nice enough last year. You did a taping of uh, uh, which is on the ninety-seven percent YouTube page of tips when you're at a holiday uh, meal, and I'm sure you know when we. In the entertainment business, we think of the entertainment business being being pretty progressive, but not everybody agrees on all the issues. There are a lot of people in the entertainment business. How do you, if you're having a conversation with somebody, especially this time of year, how do you, 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 as you have said about yourself, you speak purple, right? Right. So how do you have those conversations with people and take the temperature down on those tough questions? And shooting a gun is fun. You feel the power of it. It's sexy. I've been to the uh, the army training base uh, just outside of town and, you know, shot, you know, major artillery weapons. Uh, they're amazing, powerful things. But as I point out to people, so is dynamite. I don't necessarily run down the street with it. I don't necessarily put it in my house. Uh, you got to really think about you can't treat it like it's a, a garden home. Uh, and let's acknowledge that. Uh, but I uh, but I am willing to fully acknowledge that it may protect you in your home. It may do certain things, but can we acknowledge that we don't want innocent people to die? So I start with questions and work backwards from there, as long as they're willing to acknowledge that, well, no, of course we don't want innocent people to die. Okay, well, then let's work from there. What are some ideas? If I told you that, you know, 
you know, like I just said, you know, 25% of mass shooters beat their spouses. Um, Would you object to maybe having a conversation about that? When you ask the questions, when you acknowledge that, like, you know, I don't demonize you because you like guns. That's not a problem for me. My problem is when you refuse to try and solve the problem and you only want to say absolute Second Amendment, no no change. And and I'm like, so you ignore the innocent lives that are getting lost because there's got to be some. Right. There is definitely a validity to the fact that gun owners feel that people um, speak, talk down to them. Because they don't, yeah. if you don't, it's absolutely true. It, it yeah. and, and, and I get that, you know, and I've been, I've been in talks where, uh, you know, with Congress people, and I had people who, the guy was saying that, she, you know, it's impossible to get a gun in California. It's impossible to get a gun. I said, I said do you own a gun? So, yeah, I said, so it's not impossible. Was, you know, and then, and I had to say, you know, what you're looking for is you want to be able to carry your gun everywhere you go. Uh, and, and you can see how once it's outside your home, we get into a multiple issues of, it's a much deeper conversation, a lot more factors come into play. But then another woman got up and said, why are we playing around with this? We just got to take the guns. We got to get rid of the guns. I said, now you're my problem. I was That's like, right. no, the Second Amendment right. is a real thing. And you said, That's right. you got to acknowledge that people actually do have a right to protect their homes, yada, yada, yada. So once you once you get people to understand that you're not, if, you, if everybody acknowledges you're trying to solve the problem as opposed to win the argument. Right. We got to pull the politics out of it. And we all just got to yeah. get in and try and solve the problem. Jason, 97% of Americans favor background checks. The lowest number that I've seen is 89% like background checks. Only 86% of Americans like grilled cheese sandwiches. So <laughs> so how could you not have background checks? It's the most popular thing that we have it's, in America is the idea of background checks. The fact that it's not universal, the fact that it keeps, uh, that the loophole keeps slipping through, that we keep going round and round and round about this, even while we have more and more shootings, is just proof to me that Congress people are being held hostage and, you know, by their own fear, because I don't think that, you know, I think that the truth is, I mean, as we've seen with the problems with the NRA and that sort of, you know, the the emperor has no clothes. The money's not there. You know, there are vast numbers of members largely are people who want the discounts in the store, who, you know, want to trade information, best practices and that sort of thing. Gun training. Yeah, gun training. I mean, once upon a time, the NRA actually was about gun safety. And that was a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. but then, you know, ever since, you know, ever since Reagan got shot, all that changed deeply and, you know, it's become largely, you know, you know, as people are starting to really realize, even some of the most staunch and non-compromised people are saying, I think the organization is corrupt. I think there's, there's financial corruption. I think there's other things going on. And for me, it's, they're not trying to solve the problem. They're just trying to make sure that it stays open, keeping some kind of not, lack of universal background checks, keeping that gun show loophole keeps guns moving, keeps gun sales happening, keeps the, you know, the wheel going. And I'm like, I'm not interested in that. I'm just interested in solving the problems. And you know, just buy a gun. You'll go, go buy your gun, but you got to wait three days and we got to check you out. The vast majority of Americans want to be able to have a gun to protect themselves, have guns to hunt, uh, and also think that have no problem waiting a few days while they make sure that they're not murderous felons. Um, in the process. You know. So I'm supposed to ask you so these rapid fire questions. Who's more likely on Grey's Anatomy Station 19 to you using any character from the series? Who do you think would be most likely to be an outspoken Second Amendment advocate? Ooh, outspoken Second Amendment advocate. Um, on the series that we have, uh, you know what? There's a uh, there's a I want to give you two possible options on station 19 right now. There's a, a captain uh, Beckett 
played by a wonderful actor, you know, Josh. And, and it, uh, he's, um, he's a, he's very much a more, uh, get over it, rub some dirt in it, old school, uh, you know, character. And so I think, I think he might be on station 19. Okay. And, on those two shows, who would brag the most about their extensive gun collection? Uh, who would brag the most about their extensive yeah. gun collection? Again, I'll go with a Beckett, but, uh, I might throw in a, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Alex Karev on Grey's Anatomy. Okay. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah, uh, he, he has an interesting background. And then, who would you say has never held or seen a gun in real life on both of those shows? Oh wow, never seen or held a gun in real life. Uh, I may uh, I may say Jake Borelli. I don't know yeah. for, uh, <laughs> on on Grey's. Uh, sorry, Jake. Um, then last oh, question, oh, when are you going to run for office? <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. I don't need people digging through my trash and coming for me like that. I, uh, I, I like I like being able to say what I want to say without, you know, I mean, it's like what we're talking about. The, the, the paralyzing piece of uh, Congress is that, you know, people are too afraid are, are trying to make sure they keep their job. They're, still, they're so afraid of losing their job that they're not doing their job. Yeah. Uh, even when 90 percent of Americans are going literally just this one thing we all agree on. So just yep. make a law that does this one thing and yep. we'll be good. And yep. they're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid that it'll bring them heat. They're afraid of, and it's like, do your job. Do your That's job. why we need you. Jason, uh, each time we do one of these, we ask somebody to tag a future guest, a potential future guest that we should talk to for this. Who would you like us to speak with about the gun issue? I see what you did that tag someone. I see, I see how you, I see how you work. I see how yeah. it goes. Um, I'm going to, one of my best friends, uh, Sean McGuire. Uh, he is a Brit who actually, you know, uh, became a national, a naturalized U.S. citizen yep. recently. Uh, whose yep. wife is a former under, as beautiful as she is, was an undercover detective. I did not so, know that. Yes, yes. Now, which Jason, I, like I said, I said either that's the best that. idea you ever had or the worst idea because you will get away with nothing. Ever Sean was on Once Upon a Time. Yes, he played uh, Robin Hood. I think. Yes, he was. He yeah. was the Robin Hood, and so it is. You know, fantastic actor and a very. Funny, eloquent guy. I love him. That's a great idea. Uh, and do. because, you know, having a former law enforcement person in his house from and coming from a different country, there's an extra viewpoint that I think will be interesting. for. That's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jason. So Station 19, Thursday nights, 8 o'clock. Thursday nights, 8 o'clock. ABC. Mm-hmm. Yep, ABC, then streams on Hulu. Streams on Hulu. Uh, what season is this? You started in December in uh, 2018. On yeah, we are, we are in season five. Wow. Um, of, of the show. We are in season five. Uh, I'm directing my first episode coming oh, up. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, my, uh, directorial debut. Uh, That's great. And television director. And then, uh, and Grey's Anatomy is in season 18. That's unbelievable. Which is right? insane. Which is a, like, it's a unicorn. It's a, That's it's unbelievable. A, it's but, uh, you know, blessed. Blessed in so many ways. What show has been on as long as uh, Grey's Anatomy? 60 Minutes. Yo, um, no, you got things like, uh, I think, uh, and their friends, Ellen and uh, <laughs> Law and Order SVU. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I think Mariska Hargitay, I think she and Ellen are friends. And so uh, it, probably just because they've just both been in the game, right. <laughs> at the top of the game for, you know, kids who were born are now graduating, you know, high school. And <laughs> Different networks, but that would be a fantastic crossover. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it would. would. Right. All right. Thank you, Jason. We're going to end it uh, there. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for joining us for TAG. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Well, thanks for having me.